This is Iron Mike Stedman. And as always, I want to thank you for tuning into my show, Dog Whistle Brandon. Today on DWB, I catch up with Bill, bringing him up to speed on what we're doing behind the scenes at Ironbound Media, while also taking advantage of some quick coaching to discuss one of the issues I'm facing with regards to scaling up. After that, we dive into Trader Joe's and how the brand has managed to survive and thrive for over 40 years. So without further ado, Gunny, get them ready. Yo, saddle up, lock and load. Welcome to Dog Whistle Branding, brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media and the Lions Pride, where we provide weekly tack planning on marketing, brand strategy, and category design for early and growth stage veteran-owned small businesses to keep you in the fight and not face down in a rice paddy. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, a Marine Corps veteran, godfather of Dog Whistle Branding, and CEO of Ironbound Media, a podcast production agency that helps veteran-owned businesses create, distribute, and grow branded podcasts in order to engage with your ideal audience. Before we jump into the show, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter at the link in the show notes or visit our website, dogwhistlebranding.com to stay up to date on all things DWB and our work at Ironbound Media and the Lions Pride. All right, get out your pen and paper and get ready to build a dog whistle brand. Saddle up, lock and load. Bill, welcome back to Dog Whistle Brandon. I got a lot to catch you up on, man, because you do. You do. You've been all over the country. You've been at Hoover. You've been at Stanford. You've been, you were at conferences. I can't even get you anymore. You're so busy. Yeah. One of the updates I got for you is that, you know, um, I'm introducing a new way we do business at Ironbound Media. I changed our business model. And here's why Mm -hmm. I got tired of having a conceptual agreement with a potential customer or client, yep. et cetera. Mm-hmm. You spend mm-hmm. all this time texting you, trying to get the proposal mm-hmm. right, and then they change their mind at the last minute or, uh, you know, they overthink it or whatever. And so I basically told my team, I was like, we are done with that process, right? Mm-hmm. We're starting an initial engagement to work with us so that even if we're working on a proposal and all of the other stuff, it gives us a better opportunity to qualify whether it's going to be a good uh, c- potential customer for us. And we introduced what we're calling the brand probe and a brand's worst enemy is sorry. Let me correct this. A veteran owned business's worst enemy is a bad brand. And in the Marines, one of the things we learned is that when you're going to attack the enemy, the first thing you want to do is you want to probe their defense. You want to find out where their strengths, their weaknesses are and how you can exploit it. And so that's what we're introducing at Ironbound is this brand probe, which is going to let us, and this is a paid engagement this allows us to um, work with clients, come in more on the strategy front to really mm-hmm. understand. It's like an hour and a half deep dive interview where we mm-hmm. get to know everything about their brand. Mm-hmm. And then we can make a back a recommendation on how we can best support. And if they don't go with us, you know, they still yeah. empowered because we do a whole brief for them and everything. So just yeah, a little bit change our business model. Well, I, I heard two things here that I, I want our listeners to hone in on. Number one, 
There's a concept that Toyota introduced. I don't believe it's an official Japanese word. If you're a listener and you speak Japanese, uh, ping me on LinkedIn, the word Kaizen. It's part of lean manufacturing. I learned it when I was getting certified in lean. I believe it came from the Toyota production system. And it means constant and never improvement. What you just heard, principle one that you just heard from Mike is he learned something from the last couple of months with leads and lead conversion and sales. And he's he pivoted and he now introduced a paid product, which starts the process because the unpaid product, he couldn't get people over the line. But, so you always want to be Kaizening. Uh, constant and never ending improvement. It's never, Toyota always said it was never one big thing. It was a thousand small things. Uh, and so principle number two that I heard from Mike is, well, principle number three, we're going to talk about when we talk about Trader Joe's, but you know, the, the enemy of a veteran owned business is a, is a bad brand or an unclear brand or a murky brand or a who knows what, but we're going to talk about that. Let's skip to the, to the next principle that you just talked about. I start my relationship with a lead in a paid engagement. You know what you just heard? Your time is worth something. Your expertise is worth something. And I'm going to get paid. And the way you flesh out the people that can't tell you that either they don't have the money to hire you, they're not interested in working with you, they're too polite to tell you, or whatever, is to start, you have to write me a check. And Mike has determined that that is the way to flesh out the people who are truly serious. Listen, all you people out there that offer free consultation or I used to do that. I used to give people, you know, free like two hour coaching calls. You know, I mean, it was terrible. There's no skin in the game. And therefore, you know, you get to the end of Bill Watkins's freak and they go, well, thank you. You're a very nice man. And I'm like hoping I get a client back in the day, a member, and I didn't. And so I also pivoted like you. So I want our listeners to understand that this is a dynamic process that's focusing in on serving people. And you're one of those people. And we serve you by putting money in your bank so you can pay your bills both at home and at work. While I have you, Bill, I got to take advantage of Bill, y'all. I'm telling y'all, this is when we get to see each other, we get to catch up. I got another question for you, okay? Mm. So I'm at the point where I have scaled myself out of client delivery for the most part, right? I do the brand probe. I really do lean into the brands and jump on calls and stuff. But in terms of the day-to-day operation, right, I can be out working on my book, making my revisions, and Ironbound Media is moving like a well-oiled machine. Yep. When you start scaling up, because right now my thing is I still drive the majority of revenue, right? Mm-hmm. I'm still the chief rainmaker. Yep. What does it take to scale yourself out of that? And I don't necessarily mean, um, obviously you need a system, but what I'm saying is like, I would be nervous if there was a big client. Let's say it's like, I don't know. What's my dream brand? A very known brand. I don't know. Uh, coin, coin fund or whatever. The big brand mm-hmm. is run coin, whatever. If I had an intro call with him, should I take that call myself mm-hmm. or do you put that, you know, your admin or your CEO or one step or does the founder always take the intro call? Well, this is a great question. First of all, congratulations, Mike. When we first met each other, you weren't in this position. You, you had the right. potential, even though you wouldn't acknowledge it, but uh, you had the potential. But a lot of people have potential, but they don't realize it because they don't manifest 
success out of it. So you have. So congratulations. Number two, I want all our listeners here to be in a position where they're asking me this question a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. Mike, here, here's a couple of thoughts on that. Number one, um, when I started the Marina Group in 1994, I was everything. I answered the phone. I cleaned the toilets. I did the sales. And uh, that there was nobody else. In 2000, in the summer of 2012, as I was selling the business, we had a leadership team of nine. Sarah Wilson was my VP of sales, super talented. She had a huge sales force, blah, 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 blah. I was still the chief rainmaker. I was really, really good at what we did. Now, did I get in the way of some of the salespeople? Absolutely. But I still could sell. All right. When did I start transitioning and when would I recommend you, Mike? What would be your steps? First of all, I want you to create the job scorecard of the salesperson. So this is a job scorecard for yourself. Okay. And you track uh, it, you give it to your COO and you say, does this reflect what I'm doing? Key responsibility areas, KPAs, decision-making authority and all that sort of stuff. Ultimately, then you will go hire your first hunter. And and that's what I'm doing over at the Lions Pride. People don't talk to me. Uh, if you're if you're running a twelve a ten to twelve million dollar business, you're going to get on the phone on a Zoom call with me. But if you're running under a ten million dollar business nowadays, I'm number two in the chain. My hunters talk to you first, and they are great coaches, and they are as good as me uh, in advising people, which is the purpose of jumping on these calls. We're not a high pressure sales place. We want to help people. And then if they want more, then we'll open the door. But if, if number one, you're 10 to 12 mil or, or 50 mil, you're going to talk to me first and then you, you'll talk to somebody else. And then my coaching advisors can then say, hey, that's a good question. I think Bill can answer that. And then we'll have a second call. All right. That's what's going to happen with you. You're going to run the job scorecard. Okay. You're going to hire your first hunter. And then that hunter is going to sit with you on, on so-called sales calls, all right, and branding workshops so they understand your product, okay? So Phil Sanders shows up at all our cohort calls. He just had a baby, so he, you haven't seen him in a while. But he'll be at the TA. He'll be – he's at workshops. He's learning the whole process. So your, your hunter will be with you, Mike. And then gradually, as your hunter has success, okay, You'll pull back a little bit and then you'll stay with those sweet spot clients that you want to focus in on. Million dollar insight, y'all. So there's layers to it is what yes. you're saying. Absolutely. Right? So like if someone makes an intro to you, let's talk, you know, actuals talk to actuals and someone ain't your intro and says, hey, Bill, I want to connect you with X, Y, and Z. You yeah. still want to take that initial call? I do. Right now I have, I have three people who've come through cohort members. I spoke to one this morning. I have two tomorrow and they were direct and personal introductions. Okay. I will talk to those people. Of course, I'm not going to go, Oh, well you need to talk to Phil. No, those were personal introductions and Reagan may set the appointment up for me. All right. But I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to honor the, the introduction and the privilege of talking to someone who, who trusts me enough you know, to introduce me. Now, on the other hand, if you go through the website or the email uh, or LinkedIn and all that, you probably won't talk to me first and that's okay. 
All right. We're not going to embarrass ourselves or disappoint you. And that's what you're going to do. Mike is you're going to build this, this, uh, sales system, this recruit, this customer recruiting system in a way that it can be duplicated by somebody else. You will always be the best at it. You will always come in to help, right? Kind of like tag team wrestling. You'll always come in to help your hunters. Okay. Cause they're not you and they're not the founder, but you will focus on just like Brian Ratchin, he focuses on the big fish. Like I think he just landed USAA as a client, right? Huge company. Whereas his salespeople are doing smaller deals. So he loves it. He's energized by it. He wants to do it until the day he doesn't do it. But um, you'll always be out there because that's the exhilarating part is helping these leads see the value in what you do and then delivering on it through your delivery team. This is why y'all need a business coach or a coaching program, whatever you want to call it, because these kind of conversations, because this is not what you're going to read in a book, right? They're going to tell you all the frameworks and everything, the science of it, but the actual art of like, hey, this is a serious question of I just got a referral. My admin, Kristen, sent me a text and said, Mike, what do you want to do? Do you want to when do you want to get this scheduled? How soon? And right. I said, advise me. And she's like, I don't think you should take it soon because you're pencils down on your revisions for your book are June 24th, you know? So now I'm thinking in my head, well, do I pass it off to Kristen to make the, in to take the intro call? But based off of what you just said, the answer is no. Somebody makes a referral directly to you. You take that, right? Yeah. And it's then you start, respect. Yeah. It's out of respect and you set criteria, you know, for, Hey, who takes what? So yeah. thank yeah. you, Bill. I appreciate that. You betcha. Now, one of the things we're going to be talking about today is Trader Joe's because yes. the only person more well-read than me that I know of is Bill Watkins. And he sent me a, a link from CNN that told the story about Trader Joe's and said, Mike, I want to talk about this on the next podcast. So, Bill, what is it about the article? Let's give our listeners an overview. And what do you think the big takeaways are? Well, the, the article was on the history of uh, Trader Joe's. I, I think the reason it came up was uh, because I think it, uh, he was talking about the successor, his chief executive, and uh, uh, the the uh, the founder. What, what was his name? Um, sorry, clues here for a second. Uh, Joe Joe Colombe, maybe I don't know. I can't pronounce his name. But anyway, he founded in the '60s, and he's transitioning out. And so the third paragraph in this article uh, intrigued me to read the rest of the article. You know, I always speed read. So if I'm not into the article, like in the first couple of, or a book or something, get, I'll give you 50 pages. And and I, I'm, I'm not embarrassed to uh, ditch the, the article or the book or whatever, you know. So this particular one, uh, the third um, – paragraph it this was joe the founder he's talking in 1989 1981 so he's 12 years into his business and he he started as a really small convenience store guy i guess and he decided to open a grocery chain and the 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 um the journalist says uh, he wanted it to appeal to a small but growing number of well-educated, well-traveled consumers. He was down in uh, L.A., I think. Yeah. And he felt like uh, supermarkets were ignoring it. So here's what he said. This, this is a quote. He said, I have an ideal audience in mind, he told the Los Angeles Times in 1981. Here you go. 
This is a person who got a Fulbright scholarship, went to Europe for a couple of years, and developed a taste for something other than Velveeta, ordinary beer, and Folgers coffee. Now, Mike, that is precisely what we want our listeners to be able to do to describe uh, their perfect customer. You see, they don't eat Velveeta. They got a Fulbright scholarship and they don't drink ordinary beer and they need Italian espresso. Uh, all right. Um, you know, that's not everybody gets a Fulbright scholarship that shops in Trader Joe's even back then, I'm sure. But you get the gist of who were, they went to Europe for a couple of years. All right. This is a sophisticated shopper. And he believed that he could stock the shelves uh, with real. And then the article goes through and talks about all the innovations he brought to the shelving, you know, the products that he got that were being ignored by supermarket chains. Well, Mike, really like- yeah. if he had said, you know, I want somebody who shops in uh, grocery stores, who's between 30 and 60 and probably a woman, you know, I mean, blah, blah, blah. That's what most people do. It's not specific enough. Hearing you talk about that and reading in an article, you know what stands out in my mind? He's creating a store around of experience because that's why people like that travel, right? They're well-educated. They go on different experiences. So they're not just going shopping just like, oh, I need to go get a pack of Velveeta cheese for the party. It's like shopping is an experience for them. They're exploring. Hey, what's this wine? Where's this wine from? Or where'd they get this cheese? And da da da. And you get that vibe when you go inside a Trader Joe's. Yeah. And and back then, um, what it says was he recognized that inter- international travel. So I guess this is in the seven, late seventies and eighties was exploding, and. Um, so what he did was, and there's a couple of images, uh, in the article. Um, so you can search for CNN, uh, Trader Joe's history and, and this article will come up and, um, the stores were dressed out in really exotic themes related to travel. And one of the themes that was really popular in the Southern California market was the South sea theme, you know, like, um, uh, Tahiti and, and things like that. Um, and and uh, and the name Trader Joe's came from the, the tiki bar restaurant uh, that was started in California called um, what was it called Trader Vicks, and uh, so he he became Trader Joe because his first name is Joe, and so there you go. He he he. These people travel. These people want experiences, and so the store became an experience, Mike, as opposed to just a place to get food. I think this also ties in good to our talk before about brand and why it's so important once again, because, you know, Seth Godin talks about like if Nike had a hotel, you could imagine what that hotel is going to be like. Right. Probably have like AstroTurf on the floor, very sportsy, some like basketball, uh, some basketball courts and stuff. When you think about like a Deloitte hotel, my God, you know, (laughs) a McKinsey and all these other ones. Right. Probably very vanilla. And a lot of times when people are trying to stand out in a crowded market, you ain't going to make it very far being vanilla, right? The vanilla mm-hmm. people are already there. They're the category kings. They got the machine. If you want to stand out, you've got to really think about, like, what would a brand interaction feel like? 
You know, yeah. so like you said with Trader Joe's, you're going in there. It's very Tiki Village. See, I think they said they had like, uh, I mean, they themed out the entire store yeah. around. Yeah. And even the employees, they dressed in in uh, Hawaiian shirts and, and uh, Bermuda shorts. You know, when you went to Albertsons, you didn't walk into that. That's for sure. They had on white shirts and nice khaki pants or skirts or something. And, and it was very corporate. Whereas in Trader Joe's, it was this, 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 well, what he said was they, that he wanted to combine food with travel and adventure because that's what people were into. And, and so, you know, that's how we got it going. Something else that stood out to me and why I like these older brands is there's all this talk of the recession coming up, right? People start freaking out, startups, small businesses in the early stage, et cetera. And then you read about brands that have like been around for like 40 years, right? So they've been through multiple hits in the stock market and stuff. And you learn about how they think. And so even with Trader Joe's, right? Their differentiation early on, in addition to, you know, the the brand and the theme and a perfect customer was their assortment of like wines, apparently, Right. Because at the time, I think in California, there was all these like fair trade laws and stuff um, with wine. And they were able to basically say like, hey, we have the largest selection of wine on Calvary or something. Right. And scotch. And scotch. Right. But as they start to expand. Right. They had to readjust. So it wasn't just the wine that was their differentiator. At one point, they start introducing their own private label. Right. then at another point, they're like, okay, we probably need to expand. So like again. the market ebbs and flows. But again, that's why we say business is a contact sport, right? Like I start thinking about my own self right now, right? When I'm in a lull as an agency owner, I'm probably not doing the right activities, right? Versus, right, you got to get some momentum going. And it's like, all right, what are you going to focus on? How are you going to think? You test stuff. Hey, maybe we're going to try this route, et cetera. And you get some movement and stuff going. So like if you sit still, yes, you will probably die. But if you like make some adjustments, like you say that Kaizen 1% better, then you put yourself in a position to consistently survive and thrive regardless of the challenges the economies face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he 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 brought in wines. Matter of fact, he brought in super expensive wines, which, you know, grocery stores never sell super expensive wines. But he also brought in, he was the one that that empowered Two Buck Chuck, if you remember that wine. I don't know yep. if it's still around, but it, but uh, Chuck Shaw, uh, he was quite a story. I remember I was in California at that time as a young lieutenant, and I remember two buck Chuck wine, you know, two bucks or buck ninety nine or something. And the wine, okay, w- when I was a twenty four year old lieutenant, I didn't know shit about wine, but it drank nice, I guess, if you wanted to only pay two dollars for wine. But it was quite a story. So he had $200, $2,000 bottles of wine. He had $2 bottles of wine. It was pretty innovative. And then he kept innovating. He kept Kaizaning, like you and I were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, you know, with you know, natural foods way ahead of grocery store chains, uh, private label way ahead of grocery store chains. And even though he's transitioned out of the business, and the ownership has transitioned, you know, the original, the original themes have, have stayed the same. So if you're a Trader Joe's shopper, you know what I'm talking about. Don and I were down in uh, Boulder getting the earth roamer uh, upgraded 
and we stayed right down the street from a Trader Joe's and it was our favorite place to shop. We love to just go hang out there. A grocery store, right? You don't hear that a lot, right? That's a no. differentiation, you know, in itself. Now, here's something else, Bill, I think is interesting, right? He started the store in 1967, all right? I think they said they didn't expand into the East Coast until like 1996. Correct. He he resisted right. he resisted expansion and um I I I think he was fierce on 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 the local flavor and he was concerned that he didn't know the East Coast like he knew the West Coast. But for me, I look at that and I say you really need to think about gaining that initial foothold, right? Boom. And it depending on how you're educated as an entrepreneur, you can trip and fall over scale. You know, right. it's like, let's own California first. Then we'll move into Southern California, you know, and then maybe we can expand. So it was like, he owned that market. Like he was a nationally recognized brand. And when I think about like a startup entrepreneur, right? It's like, yo man, where can you go gain, Seth Godin calls it that minimum viable audience, right? And gradually yep. start to build from there. Like, I can't tell y'all how many times I reread his blog on the first 10, Bill. Like those first 10 customers just... Over and over. Anytime I need a reset, those first 10 customers. And again, Trader Joe's was a regional brand up until 1996. And I think it said it went from like, you know, $150 million in revenue to like $16.3 billion. They've got yeah. 530 stores. It's this whole like nationally recognized brand. And, you know, going back to our hustle porn stuff, that sounds great to kind of stand on the cover of Forbes and be like, look at me. But the reality of what it takes to make a brand survive that long, to have mm -hmm. a really good product and build trust and credibility in your niche, you've got to be super intentional. And for me, I think the easiest way to do that and get started is to focus on like that engagement area that you can own. Well, you know, when we got on the call before we started recording, I was telling you two of our cohort members that I want you to walk through the category design process. You know, these are already successful businesses. Well, one, one of them is being launched, but the uh, uh, but it's far enough along that it should already have done this. The 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 the, the founder and the the other founder CEO, you know, he, he's been around for a long time. He just never um, did the the hard work of category design, doing a brand playbook. See, those are the two tools. Cate you do category design first, and then you pivot it into a brand playbook. The reason it's prescient for him right now is because he wants to replace himself on an operating basis, so he needs to hire a president. And that president we can't hang around for five years to learn the brand. He needs to hand them the category design built into the brand playbook so that the president understands the essence of this brand. So the, the, I think what you said that I just want to highlight is when, um, when Joe sold Trader Joe's, I believe it only had 30 stores. Okay. And it now has 530 stores somewhere around there. Here's the thing. Both his successor CEO, who was a friend of his, and Joe and the owners all confirm that they remarkably adhere to the original basic concepts, the DNA, the strands of DNA that were built into the brand back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Now, you see, that's because he did the work. And that's what most brand people don't do, Mike. That's why I, 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 I'm 
I'm guiding these two people I talked to you about uh, offline towards you is because they, this brand is, is, as you said, it's either your friendly force or your enemy force. And it's an enemy force when it's confusing, murky, unclear, or undefined. With the kind of story with Trader Joe's, and I know you smoke us more on small business owners as opposed to, you know, giant venture back kind of tech startups, right? Mm. What do you think is the danger of scaling too soon? You know, of rushing, right? Has it always been that way? You know, where everyone's like, everyone's just trying to go to the moon so quick, mm. you know? And it's like, damn, like, you don't even know what, what, it, what that DNA is. You haven't had enough time. You've only been, you know, in the ecosystem like a year. It took right. that man like 30 years to hand it off. Yeah, that's an interesting question. And and I, I it, mm, I'm not wavering in my feedback. So I'll give you my... Uh, June is it today, June 2nd. Yeah. I'll give you my June 2nd thoughts. First of all, uh, one of the worst thing for brands, uh, I think is venture and private venture capital and private equity. I think, uh, to get the returns on their funds and their investments that they need, they push untrained CEOs and weak brands, uh, to grow way faster than their DNA is developed. And then because the untrained CEO and leadership team, and because the marketing team are so green and unproven and don't know what the hell they're doing, the capital that they put in hides all that. Because so what? We're losing money. Big deal. You know, we have tons of capital. You know, we raised $4 million. We raised $40 million. Yeah, see, Mike, but that's not our customer. Our customer is that veteran founder. You're listening to us and you probably are living off your life savings. Maybe you did a friends and family round. Uh, or maybe you have your first 10 customers, but there's just not a lot of cash flow. You can't screw this up. And so you don't have the so-called luxury of somebody else's money to learn off of, make mistakes, and, and fiddle-faddle around, which is what a lot of these venture-backed, private equity-backed companies are doing. They sound good on podcasts. They look good on newsreels and, and in magazines and books. It's all hocus-pocus. It's the little man behind the curtain that the dog pulls the curtain back, and it's, you thought it was the Wizard of Oz. It ain't. It's just some little guy pretending to be really successful. Mike, so I think the work that we want our listeners to do is that work because they don't have the luxury to screw this up. So, you know, me and you are on here. We're not, we don't have this platform just to talk and riff. We also like to give people actionable tips on Boom. what they can implement in their business. So based off of what we talked about today, what three things would you like to leave our listeners with? <laughs> well, um, Mike and I always want you to have the tools that you need and we give them away for free, right? So the two tools that I would want you to have right now, and I know Mike has a tool, I'll throw two at you, is if you contact Mike, contact us on LinkedIn, email, Mike will give you all the contact information uh, to get to him or his team is uh, I'll give you our perfect customer template. Just fill in the blanks 
and get your really dialed in perfect customer, your psychographics, demographics, sociographics, all the graphics. And then the other thing is I'll give you the framework for a brand playbook. Now I've got mics right over there on the, uh, on the table. I can see it from here. It's very impressive, but you didn't have that in the beginning. I think those two tools, if you would do that work, all right, plus uh, complete Mike's work, because he's a ninja and he'll have some tools for you. I really do believe that you'll get, you'll be less confused. Uh, and so will your customers and you'll get revenue faster. I got a takeaway too. crank open a Google doc, like use bills tools. But if that sounds so stressful for you, crank open a Google doc and you've got to get this idea of what your brand is out of your head. Cause especially mm. if you have team members, because that's one of the things I've learned with my team is that they don't know what you're thinking all the time. Mm-mm. Your best weapon is your ability to effectively communicate the vision and the mission through the brand. When we were at the tactical advance like two or three years ago, I think it was John Hammond from Fortimize. Yep. And he gave us advice to make sure we're writing and we're sharing. Yep. And yep. I see how much stronger it makes my team, you know, because if they don't have any, if they don't know your brand, they're shooting blind. And if you don't know your brand, you're screwed because yeah. it's just going to roll downhill. It's, you know, so yeah. please be intentional about getting these ideas down on paper. Use the resources and the tool tools that Bill shares. I don't know if you guys are still doing your free workshops, but sign up for those. There's so much great content out there, man. And at the very least, talk to guys like me and others in Alliance Pride about uh, brand building. So, uh, yep. Bill, as we close out, any last remarks, close remarks? Well, we want you to have revenue. We really do. We Both of us have been in a position, uh, me more often than Mike, where I had a, a business idea and I had little cash that I was burning quickly through and I had no customers. What we're telling you is because, number one, we care about you. You don't know us, but we care about you. And number two, we've been there probably right where you are right now. And so we're really trying to offer you those things that we've learned. Me, like over 30 years, Mike, over the last four or five years, uh, we want you to have that revenue, build that life, build that business. And so I want to encourage you. We know it's hard, but we're here to help. Feel free to reach out to me and Bill on LinkedIn. Uh, follow us uh, follow us on LinkedIn and be sure to subscribe to the newsletter Dog Whistle Brand at the links in the show notes. I'll also include a link to that CNN article on Trader Joe's that we referenced. Yeah. So until next week, everyone, peace, love, and keep kicking ass. Dog Whistle Branding is brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media, where we help veteran business leaders create, distribute, and grow branded podcast series in order to engage with their ideal audience. We believe that audio is the future of publishing, and we're committed to leading the movement for the veteran entrepreneurial community. You can learn more by visiting our website, ironboundmedia.com. This series is also powered by the Lions Pride, a professional training and coaching company for badass founders that serves mission-driven, high-performing small business owners with at-the-ready resources, battle-tested tools, and full-service support. We're proud to support veterans and other badass business owners at every stage of growth. You can learn more and get more at thelionspride.com. Thank you.